Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. I was texting the love of my life today, and she told me, I don't want to be your girlfriend anymore. Now, this confused me at first, but then I realized she doesn't want to be my girlfriend. She wants to be my wife. So I told her, can I come over now to plan the wedding? She said, mm, no. Did you read what I just said? This confused me, but then I thought, mm, no. Marry me now, okay? I told her, we're moving pretty fast, but I'm ready to spend the rest of my life with you. She said, WTH. Am I dreaming? WTH. Where's the husband? <sighs> I'm hiding in her closet waiting to surprise her with the ring. Women can be confusing at times, but if you take the effort to understand them, you can make their dreams come true. That is a true story. Uh, I went to Bible college, and that's all we did. Four years of chasing after girls made it happen. That is what your son is doing right now, chasing girls. Four years of it. Hey, welcome. Uh, we are in a series called Fresh Start. It's kind of our Christmas series this year. And uh, strangely enough, today we're talking about marriage, which isn't usually something you talk about in a Christmas series. But there is a very famous marriage in the Christmas story, the, the story of Mary and Joseph. And today we're going to talk about what we can learn by looking at their marriage. Okay. Where you live, what do you call the room that has the furnace and the hot water heater and all that stuff in it? Utility room. Anybody call it something different? Storage room. That's what we call it. Time out. Yep. We'll talk more about that today. Uh, yes, we, my family calls it the storage room. And every once in a while, just to make sure everything's okay, I go down to the storage room and I make sure that the filter in the furnace has been replaced and that there's, there's salt in the water softener and make sure the pad in our humidifier, uh, is working correctly. Um, some of you are like, wait, there's a pad in the humidifier. Yes. Go change it. Yours is gross. I'm guessing, uh, if you don't, if you have one of those things in Gillette, I, I installed one of those very early, those humidifiers, because it is dry here. I feel like scratching right now. Uh, that is the world we live in. So every once in a while, I go down and just check and make sure everything is okay. And my wife I, has no idea, first of all, that anything, how anything works in this room. And I'm not complaining about that. She's got other things that she knows about that I don't know about. I think there are three cabinets in the kitchen that I know where things are uh, and she, so we just kind of divide and conquer. She knows some stuff. I know some stuff and we separate and make sure everything gets done. But I think sometimes when I go down to, uh, check on things in the storage room, I think she's thinking, Hey, what are you doing down there? If it's not broken, do you really need to check it? Right? Just let it go. Right? And the answer is Yes, absolutely. You got to check it. I think the problem is that this is the way a lot of us think, think about relationships. We're surviving. We're making it. No need to talk to each other. No, we're surviving. There's no need to work on our marriage. It's working itself. It'll just work itself 
out. No, the reality is that relationships need regular checkups. And they need us to continually work on them. If we're going to become the people that God created us to be, if we're going to love like God told us to love, it's not going to just happen automatically. It's going to require some work. So that's what we're doing today. We're doing a checkup. And when you do a checkup, what do you do? You make sure everything's running as it should. So how should a marriage run? Well, when I look at the entirety of Scripture and what it advises us in terms of relationships, I see that marriage is a relationship or is a submission competition. Marriage is a submission competition. And I got a news for you. A lot of us are losing, right? I'm, I'm, I feel like sometimes I'm losing. Well, actually by losing, I'm winning because she's submitted. She's anyway, but when we say, when we say that we should be submitting to each other and we should, it should be a competition. We're talking about a good competition. Like when you say that a football game was a good game, what made it a good game? What makes a game a good game? I think a game can be a great game, number one, because many lead changes, like back and forth, evenly matched teams, like really grinding it out and fighting hard to win the game and somebody pulls it out the end. The Chiefs score and then the Steelers score and then the Chiefs score and then the Steelers score and then the Chiefs win. Let's be honest. That's what ends up happening. Uh, they, they, they win. That's, that's what happens. But th- that's, that's what a good marriage looks like. It's like I sacrifice for you and then you sacrifice for me and I score in the submission competition and then you score and, and then I score. And marriage is going well. Or a game can be a great game because it's a come from behind win. You know, we love these two. It, the Chiefs were getting killed. They, they could, no. Story's not over. It's coming. And then they get their act together and come from behind and win because Andy Reid outsmarted the other guy at halftime and they figured it out. Well, this, story, this, this series is called Fresh Start. We are people who believe that God's mercies are new every morning. Like every day is a chance to restart, is a, is a new beginning, is a new life. And people, some of us have realized that for years we've been taking advantage of our spouses, right? Like we married up, she's doing all the sacrificing and I'm doing all the taking. But as we grow, as we learn, as we become more like Christ, we learn to sacrifice more. And we learn that if we are going to make our marriage what we want it to be or what God wants it to be, that we will learn to submit. A fresh start, a new beginning. Let me show you how it's done. I'm going to submit. This is what we do. But how do we do that? Well, there are two kinds of competition. There's unhealthy competition. And this is the team versus team competition, right? It's the, there's only so much success to go around. Only one person can win. So we got to fight each other to see who can get what is available. There's only a limited amount of success available, but that's not the type of competition we're talking about in marriage. In marriage, we learn that we are better as a team when we build each other up. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. 
Submission competitions make relationships better for everyone. Everyone in the relationship and everybody around the relationship who's tired of hearing you argue. It just makes life better. If we both give sacrificially, we give what we could have not gotten without the relationship, right? There are things that my wife can give me that I could have not gotten without her, that I need her for, obviously. So what do we need? We need healthy competition. And this is more the competition that you see within teams. It's not one team versus another team. It's the healthy competition within a team that that we're fighting for the starting position and we're fighting to help each other. We're, We're competing in the weight room to see who can lift more. We're building each other up. We're helping each other become better because when an individual on the team becomes better, the entire team gets better, right? We build each other up and everyone on the team wins. Submission is a competition, but it's a healthy competition. So submit to one another. But why do we do it? We do it not so that I can get. We do it out of reverence for Christ. Why? Because ultimately our team is God's team. Ultimately, we are on his team, and by submitting to one another, we are actually worshiping God. So today we're going to take a look at the the marriage of Mary and Joseph, and we're going to see that it was actually reverence for God that made Joseph a good husband. So you know the story, it goes like this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Mary, unmarried, becomes pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, marriage in those times was different than marriage is today. I mean, it's pretty simple today. Marriage is we get engaged and then we get married. And whatever the marriage looks like, whatever the engagement looks like, those are the two steps. Well, back then, it was a much more complex arrangement. Usually the, the engagement part of it was an arrangement made by parents. I got a girl, you got a boy, let's bring them together, let's get them married. And then there was another, so that's engagement. Then there was a second step and that was called betrothal. And in the betrothal process, that's when male and female decide, okay, we've been connected by our parents, but we're going to agree to the terms. And they actually form a legal agreement to be married. They, they are betrothed to be married. And that's where Mary and Joseph are in the process, in the story of Jesus's birth. So Joseph, to whom she was engaged, this is not the same uh, type of engagement. This is step two, betrothal, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly for being pregnant outside of marriage. Now, why didn't he want to disgrace her? It tells us. What does it say? It's because he was a righteous man. It was out of reverence for God that Joseph decided to give grace or be graceful in his interactions with her, even when he felt that she did not earn grace. Joseph had received grace from God, and he decided to give grace. So what about you? There's going to come a time when somebody is going to cheat on you. Maybe sexually or maybe in in some other way. But but from Joseph's perspective, he's been cheated on. 
and how he responds tells us a lot about Joseph. There is going to be a time in your life when you are going to be hurt. And how you respond to that hurt says a lot about your relationship with God and how much like Christ you have become. How do you respond? What do you do when you are offended? The the thing that most of us do, most naturally we do, is we fight back. How did Jesus respond when the soldiers torture, torture and kill him? He says, Father, forgive them. He could have called down an army of angels to defend him, to to defeat the army that was crucifying him. Yet he gives grace. Father, forgive them. He chose sacrifice. He chose to lose the battle, seemingly, so that he could win the war. What does this teach us? What does that teach us about the Christian standard? Well, I, I've learned throughout my life that we don't say everything that's true, but everything we say is true. This is, this is reality of Christians. We've decided that not every battle is worth fighting. There's a lot of battles that Jesus could have chose to fought and won, but he chose not to fight them. There's a lot of terrible things going on in the world when Jesus is on earth. And let me just warn, if, you got, if you're a parent, you got kids in the room, we're going to talk about some marriage intimacy in a little bit. I just want to warn you, it's coming. But there are things like temple prostitution, slavery. There are things like uh, sex slavery and, and all kinds of terrible things going on in the world when Jesus is on earth. Yet how many of those battles did Jesus choose to fight? Almost none of them. He didn't even talk about a lot of them. Talk about a lot of the evils that were happening in the world. In fact, he he chose to heal a bunch of these sinners. He chose to have dinner with a bunch of these sinners. Why? It's because Jesus knew that in order to change someone's behavior, you have to first change their heart. We are not going to win political battles by with sure force and might, and I'm just going to out-argue you. The only way to win a political battle is to change a heart. It's to lead someone to Jesus, if that's your motivation. And this is what Jesus does. He's like, listen, all those things are terrible, but there is one thing that is supremely important above all of this, and it is that you understand that, you understand that we are all sinners, that we are all broken, The the people who do the really bad sins, the sins that we label as really bad, or the people that do little sins, you're all going to hell unless I die, unless I forgive. And he prioritized that mission. This is what Jesus called us to do. We don't say, we don't fight every battle. You know, there are a lot of things that I hear people talking. I'm like, whoa, that's wrong. I'll just let you be wrong. I'm going to choose to lose this one. But then I make sure that when I do speak up, when I do choose to speak, I am speaking truth. Now, this isn't true about all of us. Some of us, it's not that we're tempted to fight every battle. We're actually the opposite. 
We choose to run away from battles. We choose to isolate. And this can actually be worse, especially in a marriage. Isolation in a marriage is a quick route to divorce. It will cause tremendous pain in your marriage. This is what happens when you, when you say things like, well, I'm not going to tell him what he did to me. He should know. I'm just going to be quiet and hope he figures it out. This, a lot of us do this kind of silent treatment thing, and it's dirty. It's evil. It's selfish. Run from it. We're not called to isolate. We are called to come together, build each other up, help each other grow. Paul says, among you, among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men. Men are like, yeah, you're ours. He says, no, actually, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman. And everything comes from God. Again, Paul is saying, you're a team. It's not who's in charge, who's more important, who's more strong or whatever. All this sinful hierarchy stuff that we like to do. He's saying, you're a team. Build each other up. Lift each other up. You need each other. And isolation just makes you less effective. Isolation just divides you. So there's a much better option. When we're offended, we give grace. And this is the time usually when I need to clarify what I'm not saying. I, if you are being abused, if you are in a, a relationship in which you are being abused, I am not advising you to stay in that abusive relationship. In fact, staying in a, an abusive relationship is usually doing more harm to the person you're in relationship with than it's not. That, that is many times is enabling them. I'm not advising that. But short of that, Oftentimes, we're tempted to be in the relationship just so we can get out of it what we want out of it. And if I'm not getting out of it what I want out of it, then I'm out. If we are like Christ, we hold our tongue when we want to speak our mind. And when we do speak, we make sure that we are speaking truth. And how do we speak truth? We speak truth gracefully, full of grace and truth. So back to Mary and Joseph. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. In this time, if, most, if Joseph wanted to press the issue, he could have taken her before the religious court that would have sentenced her potentially to death for her crime of getting pregnant outside of marriage. Yet he decides to go the other way with grace. Now, Joseph might want, have had, might want to punish her, but he chose grace. When Joseph's love was tested, he recognized that his love was real love, was sacrificial love. We do not know how much we love until our love is tested. And your love will be tested. Very on in your marriage, you will realize that the person you married cannot live up to your expectations. They will not. Because 100% of us marry sinful people. All of us. And our temptation 
is to fight back or to isolate or to run to mom. Mom, do you know what he did to me? He doesn't help clean up around the house. Mom, do you know what she does? And now all of a sudden, we were supposed to leave our mom and become one with our spouse, and now we are cheating on our spouse and going and teaming up with our mom. I am so sick of hearing about Christian groups who get together and gossip about their spouses. Wives who get together and complain about how horrible their husbands are, or husbands who complain about, that is cheating. You are cheating on your spouse. That is sinful. Run from that temptation. No, they're not perfect. Yes, they're going to get things wrong. And so work it out with them. Love them through it. Have honest, transparent conversations and love them through it. Don't gripe about what your spouse is not. I wish she was more fun. I wish he was more romantic. No, we continue to grow together. We recognize that we are broken. We work on ourselves. And we set the example for our spouse of what it looks like to sacrifice. It's a submission competition, and I'm going to go first. Someone has to go first, so let it be me. I want it to be them, but I'll make it me. I'll submit even when they haven't. I'll submit even when they don't deserve it. Because Joseph treated Mary with respect even when he thought she didn't deserve it. Even when he thought she was a cheater. We all would have thought the same thing, right? Everybody at this point assumes that Mary has cheated on Joseph. Yet he chose to give her respect. To gift her respect that she had not earned. There are times in our life when we are confident that we have all the answers. There is no way I could be wrong. How could she be pregnant if she didn't cheat on me? Remember that your emotions will lie to you. Remember that you do not have all the information all the time. Remember that you could be wrong. I'm not saying every time you think your spouse cheated on you, they didn't actually cheat on you. Spouses cheat. That does happen. But I'm just saying move slow. Don't jump to conclusions. Move slow. Have conversations. Don't gossip about them. Speak to them. Work through it together. Because this is where Joseph finds himself. And as Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph did not understand until God brought clarity. Until then, Joseph was operating in faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be graceful even though I'm fully positive that she's cheated on me. And now he finds out that he is going to be God's father. And maybe best of all, he gets to marry Mary. Right? All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her 
until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So now we see the later stages of the Jewish marriage, right? We had the engagement, and then we had the betrothal. Now there's two more steps that we see in this passage. The third step is the wedding, and then step four, sex. That was the order that they put things in. This is why we tend to do things in that order as well. Now, this story tells us that Joseph chose not to have sex with Mary until after she gave birth to Jesus. Why? Why did he wait? I see two reasons. I think number one is prophecy. The prophecy was that a virgin would give birth, and so she needed to be a virgin when she gave birth. Now, remember, in this, at this time, Joseph is probably... 17 years old. Mary's probably 14 years old. And they had self-control. I believed the whole story up until this point. It's not true. No, they did. He chose to give up his physical desires. And I think the second reason is to remove doubt. Joseph wanted everyone to be confident that Mary's pregnancy was a supernatural pregnancy. This was not Joseph's biological baby. In other words, it was out of reverence for Christ. It was for his Christian mission that he put aside his desires and sacrificed for the mission. It was submission. He was submitting to God and God's calling for his life. Submission required Joseph to surrender something that he desired. And this is what it will require you. It's tempting for us to submit so that we can get others to submit and so that we can get something out of it. That is not our motivation. Sometimes we just have to choose not to get what we want. So much of our society has been developed around this idea that if I have a desire, I should get that thing. If I want something, it is my right to get that thing. And that is wrong. That is not truth. If you get everything that you want, you will become an unhealthy, selfish, pain-filled, emotionally unhealthy person. We should not get everything we want. We do not act on every temptation. We recognize that we are sinful beings who have desires that we should not have that we should not act on because we are sinful beings. We choose not to get what we want. This is who we are. So in marriage, if you're not getting everything out of it that you want, you recognize maybe this is making me stronger. Maybe not getting what I want is making me better. You know, every one of us come into marriage with a long list of hopes. We're brought here today by the love that Sarah and Davis have for each other. I can't believe I get to marry him. We're perfectly compatible in every way. Yeah, she just gets me, man. Someone to talk to all night long. Someone to talk to all night long. Early morning jogs. Sleeping in late. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll have one well-behaved daughter. We'll have four or five little dudes running around. He'll help me pay off my debt. I should probably tell her about all my debt. 
Is that important? We'll share a bank account. Obviously, we're going to share a Facebook account. <laughs> do I need a friend my in-laws? Someone to do my laundry. Someone to do my laundry. Double income. Stay at home, dad. Meal planning, of course. Take out. The city. The burbs. Mission trip. Ski trip. Blue. Red. Cat. Dog. Fries. Rings. Potato. Potato. Minivan. Motorcycle. Two words. Finished basement. Two words. Man cave. Uh, he's so smart. Do you think that birds wish that they had hands? We're going to be so happy. We'll be so happy. I'm going to crush it at being a husband. All of us, when we get married, have that list, right? This is what it's going to look like. I, I was poor when I was growing up, and so we are going to have two incomes. We're both going to have jobs. We're going to make a lot of money. We're not going to do all of that sacrifice stuff or not get what we want. We are going to make some money when we get married. Or maybe you know we're not going to be that minivan couple. That's not who we are. We're going to have a nice car. We're going to live a little bit of luxury when it comes to what we drive. And we are not going to be one of those marriages where the wife does all the cleaning. He is going to clean and he's going to like it. Uh, when I was growing up, we had a, a big family, so I kind of want a big family. Uh, so we're going to have that perfect daughter who's going to be sweet and gentle all the time. And then we'll have a son. And then, oops, we had another daughter. Apparently, we got to keep trying. So we have a son. Oh, good. Finally, we had the son. And then, uh, and we all have hopes about what she will not wear to bed. And right, we, we come into marriage with this box of hopes. This is what I hope I get out of marriage. And so here's my advice. Know what's in your spouse's box. And hopefully before you get married, have this conversation. What are you hoping to get out of marriage? Because if she starts listing a bunch of stuff, you're like, this isn't going to work. Then that's a good time to figure it out, right? Because you're not just getting to know her hopes or his hopes. You're getting to know him. Because most of the things we want is because of what we've experienced. Our hopes are usually an attempt to avoid something or to repeat something from our past. I, I, my parents did this, and I didn't like it. We're going the opposite direction. Or my parents did this, and I really appreciated it. I'd like to repeat that. Because when you marry someone, you should know that you're marrying their past too. So what should we do? I should keep my hopes in my box, not force them on my spouse. All the while, I'm being generous with the hopes of my spouse, trying to, to, trying to help them with as many as I possibly can. Because when we shove our hopes on our spouse, we transform our hopes into expectations. Here, babe. Thanks for marrying me. This is what I need. This is, what, this is what I'm planning to get out of this thing. And we try to shove it off on them. And the, they're trying to shove off things on us. And then they don't line up. And what actually happens? Divorce. You aren't meeting my needs. You aren't meeting my expectations. I'm out. So the question is, what do we do with our hopes? Well, we don't just ignore them. They're there. That's a, kind of a part of who we are. But we keep them. We don't expect our spouse to fulfill all of our hopes because we're not in marriage for what we can get out of it, right? 
then we pursue our spouse's hopes without expecting them to do the same. Will this require sacrifice? Yes. Will this be incredibly difficult? Yes. Will your spouse fail to give you as much as you give them? Yes. In your opinion, that's usually how it works out. Usually the things that I do seem bigger and the things that my spouse does seem smaller. And so usually in my own eyes, I feel like I'm doing more. This is how we are wired. So we choose ahead of time, I'm going to do more. I'm going to give more than I expect to get. I'm going to sacrifice. And when you have ever seen a marriage that is happy into their late years that have been married for a long time and somehow they still like each other, this is what they did. They both decided they're going to give and give and give and give. And when most people would have given up on giving, they keep giving. Why? Because it's real love. Because that's what love actually is. If we are to love like Christ, we give sacrificially, not expecting to give, get anything out of it. When Christ died on the cross, he did it while we were still sinners. While we are still sinning, Christ died for us. He gave himself for us, not to get something out of us, but to give something to us. Why? Because he loved us. Because his love for us was sacrificial and it was not conditional on our ability to repay him because we cannot. So as we become more like Christ, we love more sacrificially. If your marriage is struggling, have a conversation. Have an open, honest conversation about how much are we both giving? Can we give more? God, I pray that today you would teach us how to be more like you in the way that we love each other and not just our spouses, but everybody we are in relationship with. Help us to become more sacrificial in the way that we love. God, if there's anybody here today who does not have a relationship with you, who has not had an intimate encounter with your forgiveness and your grace and your peace that passes understanding, if they need to know that today your mercies are new for them, God, I pray that you will reveal yourself to them, that you will draw people to yourself and you will give them courage to say yes to you. When everything else in their world is falling apart, they will recognize you, that you are a firm foundation upon which they can build their lives. God, make us more like you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.